0: Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. This is a replay episode with the brilliant Anna Codriarado from April 2021. She writes about freelancing, business, culture, technology, and she has a particular focus in her work on careers and work life. I love geeking out with her on this topic. As you know, I love discussing it too. And I really enjoy her podcast, Is This Working?, on all these themes. They really get into it, her and her co-host. There is an amazing episode on burnout that I really recommend you listening to because she talks about how she feels in the throes of being burnt out. We discuss her first book in this episode called You're the Business, how to build a successful career when you strike out alone. It's a handbook for anyone who works for themselves and it's also for people who are curious to know more and Anna is a really honest, open and very reliable source on all of this. So I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you enjoy checking out Anna's work.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I am pumped
0: to be here. I'm so so excited to receive your book. I've listened to your podcast for a long time and you really are the queen of freelancing and this book is the one-stop shop I think that I definitely needed this book five years ago. So I'm excited for people to have it for maybe in this time as well, people pivoting and changing jobs. Um, So I wanted to start off by, I mean, the first line of the book practically is you saying your own story about how you lost your job a few years ago. And that's what really launched you into freelancing. What was that like at the time? Did you know you wanted to be a freelancer at some point? So yeah,
1: I started freelancing in 2017 after I got Made Redundant. And because the company I was working for was an American company, it was this very dramatic redundancy where I got told on the Friday, that's it, don't come back on Monday. And I made my decision to go freelancing very quickly. I made it that weekend and I decided come Monday morning, I'm not unemployed, I'm self-employed. I think I was able to do it so quickly or to make that decision so quickly because I had thought about freelancing for a long time beforehand. Um, I'd actually when i was writing the book i found this notebook that i'd bought about a year before i actually went freelance and it was my in it i had written out my plan to go freelance and it was just really amazing to find that sort of artifact of my career journey and to reflect on it and i had all of these hopes that freelancing would sort of allow me to have this flexibility and this autonomy but obviously something had held me back from going freelance i I was just really scared. Honestly, I was really scared to quit a job. I think it was really, really drilled into me that you shouldn't quit a job. You should never walk away from employment. And so then when the job got taken away from me, I honestly thought it can't get any worse than this because I, I truly thought losing a job was the worst thing that could happen to your career. And so I thought, well, I don't have a job to lose anymore. So I might as well give freelancing a go. And It has definitely worked out for me, Um, but I think it's worked out because I did really want to be a freelancer. I just, I didn't know where to kind of look for that kind of, A, for the practical information about how to make it work. But then also, I didn't know where to look to actually see what it was really like. It just seemed like this very amorphous thing. And my only reference points were, Writers who are much more progressed in their careers, who were working for themselves, and you know that kind of Carrie Bradshaw esque, oh, I have a column and it's all very easy. And I thought there's no way that that can be possible, and there's no way that that could be possible at my point in my career. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of that's sort of how I went into freelancing, um, and it's been it's been the it's been quite the journey since.
0: Yes, well, it's it does feel relevant. I think there's a lot of people out there who are on the brink of change and freelancing obviously isn't for everyone, but it's interesting that story kind of parallels my own thought process. When I left my job, there was almost like a shame attached to um, leaving a full-time job. And I don't know whether I think we're of a similar age, but that millennial angst around graduating into a recession. Do you think that still lingers?
1: Yeah. So I yeah i also i graduated right smack bang into the into the last financial recession or um in 20 i graduated 20 no 2009 and the mentality was just get any job you can there was no talk of being self-employed even though actually now that i've kind of part of what i look at is also trends in self-employment and i write a lot about self-employment and freelancing. And what I realize now is that the big spike in self-employment was actually caused by the last financial recession in which people lost their jobs and, and started out on their own. So really we were only just then seeing that kind of tidal shift towards people striking out on their own, but it had been ingrained in me. It was just all about the goal was always the job, the job, find the job. And when you just mentioned Shame. I think that plays a massive part in it. I was, I was so ashamed that I lost my job. And in my particular circumstance, okay, it was a redundancy, and it was actually part of a big company-wide set of redundancies. I think over a hundred people lost the, their job the same the same day that I did. But in that moment when I was being let go, I thought it. I thought I was being fired. That it was me. My brain went straight to. You've messed up. You are being fired. Um, And it doesn't help by the fact that, you know, that the HR person is saying, don't talk about this with anyone else. Um, You know, don't tell other people. And it's just this kind of veil of guilt and silence and shame. And it's just, it's a really, really unpleasant experience. And for a lot of people also, I know that my colleagues who went through this with me, they, who didn't, didn't want to be freelancers. It was so hard then to try and go out and find a job because this very unpleasant thing has happened to you. Um, and I think it's, you know, this is something that's playing out now as well. Uh, I think that so many people are reconsidering their options. They're thinking, is it time for me to make a big change? Some people also are losing, you know, plenty of people are losing their jobs right now. They're thinking about their next move and it's, it's just so, this is this really speaks to how so much of our identity is tied up in work, and whenever on on my podcast, whenever we talk about redundancy or losing your job or making mistakes at work, those are the episodes that really really resonate with listeners because it just isn't really talked about we're not we don't have that space to kind of say oh i I feel just i feel really ashamed or I feel really kind of uncomfortable or something has happened at work that's just really just left me feeling uh, basically
0: yeah and I think the word redundant doesn't help because you can't make a human being redundant like it's pretty brutal to tell someone you're not really needed anymore and I think one thing I do love about being self-employed even when you know not a lot is going on I'm like oh no one can fire me this is like kind of the best feeling um but I wanted to make the distinction between freelancing and some of the other words, because you describe in the book that there's many ways to be self-employed. And it was interesting on your podcast with Tiffany, you were saying that you both don't necessarily see yourselves as entrepreneurs and you don't have to. That's the beauty of it. Would you be able to talk a little bit about why you included that in the book?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, so there is the very kind of beginning of the book. I have a section on what, what do you even call yourself because the term freelancer doesn't actually mean anything in a legal definition, in a sort of a legal sense, or even from a tax point of view. It's just a word that we use and we understand it to mean people who work for themselves, who don't work for an employer. And I included it because I think it's actually really important to think about what you call yourself. And A, of course, there are practical considerations to take into account because certain industries use different Terminology uh, and others don't. So there's obviously that, but then also it's just about thinking of who you are and how you work. Um, and so yeah, I kind of distinguish between freelancers, entrepreneurs, small business owners, micro business owners, side hustlers. You know, these are all different. These are all terms that mean slightly different things, but also have quite a lot of overlap. And. You know I'm primarily a you know i I am a journalist, and the term freelancer is very widely used within that industry, whereas if you work for yourself in tech obviously uh you know they're all entrepreneurs and really all an entrepreneur is is just someone who runs their own business and does so in this slightly kind of innovative way uh and you can be an entrepreneur and have a team or you can be an entrepreneur and just work alone and for me, I don't know, I don't know why, but the term doesn't really sit. It doesn't feel like I, I just, I don't feel like I identify with it. I think partly because when I think of entrepreneur, I think of people like Elon Musk, no shade to him, but it's just, that's not the, that's not the rocket ship that I'm on at the moment. So I just kind of encourage people in that section of the book, just to think about the words that we use to talk about what we do, because they, they do matter.
0: Totally. They really do. And I, don't call myself a freelancer necessarily anymore, just because I don't really work in journalism anymore. And that was important for me to distinguish that difference. And it's like, you kind of have to label yourself in the way you want to be perceived, because that's how you grow the business you want to be in. And I just found that really useful.
1: Let me just ask you a quick question. What do you call yourself?
0: My God, that's the thing. I still just call myself a self-employed multi-hyphenate. That is the words I use because I guess I'm running a small business and I employ other freelancers. So it doesn't really make sense for me to necessarily call myself a freelancer. It all gets a bit meta.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. It definitely. And that's that's, I think, something that so many people who are on that, you know, it's part of the growing pains of working for yourself. That if you, you know, if you, you can stop and you can think, oh, but if I'm hiring someone else, even if they're on a, you know, in a freelance contract does that mean I'm no longer a freelancer? So it's just really it's just really interesting.
0: Yeah, and it can change, can't it? That's the whole thing. You don't put on a hat forever. Like next week, I could call myself something else. This is the beauty of working for yourself, I suppose. But a big part of self-employment and especially freelancing is if we're going to talk about the challenges is getting paid. You know, that is the, the luxury of the pay slip just landing on your desk every month goes. And I think it's huge. And you talk about it a lot in this book. This book has a lot about money which is brilliant. And you're so good at talking about that. I mean, in terms of that and chasing payments and for someone listening, where that's the one thing that's standing in their way, that idea of, oh God, I'm not going to get paid on time. What are your thoughts about all of that? Was that a fear for you? Definitely. Money was a fear for me.
1: I was worried I just wouldn't make any um, and that no one would hire me and that I wouldn't be bringing in any money. I didn't realize how bad late payments were before I myself was freelance. And honestly, I have a lot of, um, I guess regret about that because I was in positions where, okay, I was, you know, I was in an, I was in editor, I was in editor positions. I didn't realize how bad the freelancers that I was commissioning had it in terms of getting paid. um, and it's something that I was just completely oblivious to. And I just, I do not feel good about that now. But anyway, however, I'm now in a in a place where I'm kind of trying to do some stuff as much as I can to sort of change that. But yeah, so my fears were around actually getting clients. And lo and behold, the problem has not been that. The problem has been getting paid. So quite a lot of freelancers will talk about how they may have been commissioned or booked to do thousands of pounds worth of projects, in some cases may have even done them, but they only have a hundred pounds in their bank account because they haven't been paid their invoices yet. So that's a really, that is a big issue. And I think it is really important that people do understand that when they go into it, there are quite a few things that you can do to protect yourself to a large extent. So I'm a big advocate for having very Regular and robust invoicing habits and just making sure that you're invoicing on some kind of schedule, whether that's weekly or monthly, depending on the type of work that you do uh, I'm a big fan of using bookkeeping software rather than keeping your spreadsheets um, sorry keeping your making your invoices kind of on the fly and also the other part of this conversation is also and this is something that i'm I'm still find really, really hard. I, you know, I, you just will never know how much money you're going to make any given month. And even though I've been in this, I've been freelancing now nearly four years and I've never kind of not made enough money where I can't pay my rent, but I still get so much stress and anxiety around what's going on in my bank account, basically. And I still haven't got used to the fact that in in my old life, in my old job, I got X amount of money down to the penny every month on the same date into my bank account. And it still takes, it takes a long time to wrap your head around the fact that you just don't have that anymore.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And a lot of it though, is a mindset shift rather than an actual, you know, it doesn't, it hasn't actually caused me any problems, but still it's just something there that kind of back of your mind, like, oh my God, am I am I going to make any money this month? So it's, it's definitely something that I think it's really important to go into with your eyes wide open and just to learn a few things that you can do to help yourself. And also something I talk about in the book is how important it is to know what your rights are, because there is this assumption that freelancers have no rights. And while yes, it's true, they, we don't have the same rights as employed people. We still do have Some rights and getting paid on time is one of them. There is a piece of legislation that mandates that, so it's really important for freelancers to know what they are entitled to, so that they don't get taken for a ride and they can kind of know how to stand up for themselves.
0: Yeah, it's really good advice about distancing yourself, even if it's software, so that someone's getting a automated email. It's not like you and a chasing. Sometimes I feel like that was the way that that's what helped me get paid is. Um, I got a virtual assistant who basically was really annoying. <laughs> and it meant that I didn't have to be. And that was, that changed everything actually. And it's interesting what you say about, you know, the challenges of not having the pay slip. But on the other side, I guess it's important to say that the pro is that you're never capped. What you earn is never, there's never a limit. And that's a salary is limited. It's like you've got to go and beg for a pay rise. Whereas it's kind of exciting to think, all these income streams could add up to they could double every year if you know if everything goes well.
1: I think that's a really important thing for anyone who's thinking about freelancing or also or anyone who is a current freelancer to really wrap their head around. There is no ceiling to what you can earn, and I remember a conversation with someone when I was just just started freelancing. They had been employed by the same very large legacy media organization for it for many years. Um, and I just, I think it was when I just started writing. Um, so when I first started freelancing, I was writing quite a lot for the New York Times. And maybe it was my first byline for them or some big story I'd done or I don't know. But it was some significant moment for me. And I was telling them about how excited I was. I was writing for the New York Times. I was doing all this great stuff. And they were just like, yeah, but you're just never going to earn as much freelancing as you would, you know at a newspaper or magazine. And I was like, what are you talking about? You, There are salary bands where you work, whether you're aware of them or not, there is a cap because you're never going to earn more than your bosses for starters. And well, you know, whether they're publicized or not, most companies have ranges of salaries for every position. And if you're in that position you and you reach the top of it, that's kind of it. Whereas the sky really is the limit. And of course, that's not to say that the only reason to freelance is to make loads of money. And sure, it is hard making um, making money and developing new streams of income. But the point is, is that the possibility is there and it really is up to you to do with that what you will. And so that is the part of freelancing that I think is just very exciting.
0: Yeah. And, and you lay that out really well in the book, the kind of tiers of how much you can charge and how you become more skilled. The other bit I loved in the book was about finding clients. And I love what you say about how some of your jobs aren't necessarily through like scouring LinkedIn. Because I think that brings people out in hive sometimes if they're definitely not a networking type of person that, you know, doesn't want to wear the badge in the room with the wine. Um, and you were saying that actually a lot of your contacts come from friends or someone you met at a festival. You know, there's there's other ways of thinking about your contacts.
1: Yeah, so I think this is super important when you first start out. So it doesn't. I think it's it's always really hard for me when people ask me if they should go freelance straight away after graduation, because the reality is I had been working, so I did have somewhat of a network, and of course because I had been working as an editor, a lot of my fellow kind of peers were other editors. So my first clients were people in my existing network. And they came from all sorts of interesting places. So I did tweet about getting made redundant. I felt comfortable doing that because there happened to be an article about it. Uh, I think it was in Variety. that There had been a whole article about how all these redundancies made. And so I felt comfortable saying, you know, I'm one of these people and I'm looking for work. And someone got in touch off the back of that. And then also I... um, I had a a friend who I'd gone to a festival with who you know our kind of like paths took us down different routes but we both ended up becoming journalists and she was working for a um a digital magazine at the time it was the debrief and um, RIP the debrief RIP the debrief and she um someone was going on holiday t- to do and they got me in to do a kind of like a, a holiday cover for a couple of weeks and that was my first proper kind of like stint of I think it was three weeks of, of, of paid freelance work. And it was actually the kind of freelance work where you're going into an office rather than it was sort of a commission that I did at home. But the point is, is that that was someone that I already knew and the opportunity was right there. And this is something that, this is a principle that I still use now four years later. So when my podcast co-host and I are thinking about inviting guests onto our show or, um, you know, trying out a different revenue stream for the podcast, or I might be doing it for myself or whatever the case might be. I start with my existing network and I just start, I ask people that I already know, you know, basically, can you help me? And it might be that I'm sort of directly asking them, you know, I've got this project that I think would really work for you. And I'm essentially asking them for money. Uh, Or it might just be, can you put me in touch with the right person? Could you give me an email address? Could you just tell me your experience of, um, actually, I could give you a live example from, so I've been thinking about how I can expand my uh, speaking, like me me going out and doing public speaking. And I'm in a WhatsApp group with other um, self-employed people. And actually there are, it's not just for, it's not just for freelancers, but anyway, there are lots of self-employed people in there. And I just asked in the group, does anyone do this? And could they help me learn how to do it? Uh, And a bunch of people responded and they helped me. And I actually was on a zoom call last night, all about how do you get into the speaking world? And that just very much came from me using the things that I already have and the network that I already have and just basically asking my absolute favorite question in the world to ask is, but how did you actually do that? So if someone says, I did X, Y, and Z, or, you know, I started a copywriting business and I want to be a copywriter, I will say, okay, but how did you actually do that? What was the first step you did? Or what is
0: something that I could do so that I can start doing it? Totally. And that really is useful for people who are starting out that um, first step. And it's like, use what you have. Love that. And I wondered with freelancing, because in my first year of freelancing, I've got to say, I took on loads of jobs that I didn't necessarily like want to tell anyone about. It wasn't like cool jobs to put on Twitter or LinkedIn. It was, I just want to make ends meet and I just want to work from home in my pyjamas. And, you know, that was like my first year of freelancing. It wasn't cool, it wasn't snazzy, it wasn't like I'm going to Facebook for a panel. Like it wasn't it wasn't anything I wanted to show really. And I feel like there is this weird shame with freelancing where people feel like they have to be paid for these like really I don't know, externally successful jobs where actually there's a lot of behind the scenes that goes on.
1: Yes, definitely. And I think it's, I think this is very prevalent in the creative industries. And this is not just the case for journalists and writers. I think anyone who does a creative job has this tension between the creative work and for want of a better phrase, the corporate work or the the stuff that you do to pay the bills. And I think it's a very interesting and important conversation for us to have as creatives, because I do think it taps into the idea of selling out. Because I think a lot of people are worried about being perceived as sellouts if they take corporate work. And I know it from my own career and my own kind of experiences that back when I was starting out as a journalist and when I was employed in companies, it was not okay to do any copywriting or do anything on the side. And that meant you weren't a pure journalist. You weren't doing pure journalism and that you were a sellout and you can't, you know, you cannot kind of like mix these two worlds. And then I became a freelancer and I realized it is impossible to make a living entirely as a freelance journalist, or at least it's not true that it's impossible. It's very, very hard. It's also very hard to just come out of the gate as a freelance journalist and make your 100% of your living just selling articles to newspapers and magazines. So then I kind of started thinking okay what are some of the other things that I can do and content marketing doing work for PR companies all these sorts of things they just they're just a very natural extension because it's just such an obvious way to transfer your skill set and it's a real double edged sword because on the one hand I think it is important to be transparent about these things to say okay well I make up my income in lots of different ways and some of it is just not glamorous and I just there's not a whole lot really to post about on social media but then on the other hand there are people who kind of think that oh it's shady if you don't talk about it but it's one is allowed to share or not share whatever they want and the reality is that it is that kind of front of house glamorous work that you want to put on well instagram and twitter which are basically now live live cvs you you kind of want to put that out there because that is what's going to lead to more work both the front of house work and also the corporate work as well so it's just a really really tricky thing to navigate and i think the point is is People just don't need to feel too guilty about it. If they don't want to share that they wrote a couple of blog posts for a tech brand, which is something that I do or have done, um, that's fine. If they want to share about it, great. It's not, you know, the, the we all need to be able to pay our bills. And the reality is that the mortgage company, the landlords, the credit card companies, they don't accept exposure. They don't accept the low paid rates that you do get for creative work for, you know, in lieu of rent. So people have just got to do whatever they have to do. And I think it's just really important just that there is an awareness that this is what's happening. And I think it's just important not to kind of think about individuals selling out, but what is happening at the industry level that is making it so hard for
0: creatives to just be
1: creatives
0: it's true and i think it's reflective exactly like what you said of the industry because not that long ago it was normal to get paid like 3000 pounds for an article that was a world that people lived in about 10 years ago that's not really the world we live in now but that was also the world that paid millions for a picture of Britney Spears so it's like the world has changed for good and bad but i just i just love to tell young people that transparency around you know, your favorite columnist who looks like Harry Bradshaw might probably be doing some posts for a toothpaste brand as well. And that doesn't have to like make us feel depressed. That can actually just make us feel empowered and that we can do multiple things. But anyway, that's my own experience. Um, I didn't want to put that on to you too much. Um, but I I really want to talk to you about uh, your out of office, which I did say to you is like the best out of office ever. Because I want to talk to you about burnout next. And I feel like the out of office links us to talking about burnout because it it's a bit of a shield, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So I have just one email address. Uh, it is my work and personal email address. It's also the whenever I signed up for Gmail way back a thousand years ago, it is the email address I signed up with. So it is, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's also out there. I, I do a public job. You know, I'm I'm a journalist. I have to have my email address sort of easily available. And so that means, of course, that I just get so, so many emails. And I read a very transformative book, Cal Newport's Deep Work, which just really kind of hammered home to me what a waste of time shallow work like email is. And it really got me thinking about how I can protect my time so that I can do my actual work. And that became much more pressing when I became self-employed. This, I think protecting your time and doing real proper, doing your actual thinking, your deep work is important for everybody. But ultimately when you're self-employed, if you don't have time to do your actual work, no one is paying you to read your emails, unfortunately. So it became very, even more pressing for me to carve out that time. and. I think like so many people, my digital space is really where my boundaries really get crossed the most. However, also it's the, it's, it is it's a place where the robots can help you set up your boundaries and police them a little bit. And so the way I do it is I have an out of office, which is just an automatic permanent out of office, basically, that essentially says, thanks so much for emailing me. Um, I direct people to other contacts depending on what the email is about, whether it's about my podcast or about my book or whatever it might be. And then I say in it that if you're if you're messaging about anything else, I will get back to you. I give a time frame. I think it's seventy two hours, and I say that you're welcome to nudge me after after a week, but please don't DM me to see if I got your email. And it just creates a, it's exactly that. It just creates a shield between me and the rest of the world. It means that the person has received that out of office and it sets their expectation that, Oh, okay. Um, I just need to, she will go back to me, but it's just going to take a while. And anytime I've been on the receiving end of something like that, it's just been very helpful because you kind of know, okay, fine. I get it. Uh, you know, I, I will wait until I hear back. Um, and I I like to sort of automate my boundaries as much as possible. I also have a bunch of email templates saved into my Gmail. So if anyone doesn't know this here, that's good. Here is a hack. You can save templates so that when you compose an email, there is a button down there somewhere that says, you know, use a template and you can save your own pre-drafted templates. I have one about declining free work. Um, I have ones about sort of dealing with like Basically, anything where I'm repeating myself over and over again, I put that into a template. And it just makes it so much easier because there is this this is, you know, one of the things that can make you feel really drained is when you're using all of this emotional energy to deal with these sort of very kind of surface level issues that just keep kind of like snipping away at you. Yeah. So, you know, and again, for freelancers in particular, stuff like around asking to get paid that is very very draining or having to tell someone no I'm not going to do that piece of work for free all of these things just sap at your energy so the more you can automate that the better and I think that is so important right now as well because we are just none of us are functioning at our peak at all
0: yeah
1: um and just let the robots help you
0: such good advice and I feel like honestly like I'm six years into this whole thing and I'm still I still get really overwhelmed with email to the point where it's almost like psychological the out of office almost doesn't help sometimes but I I know I need to be stronger with that but it's just it's exactly what you just said it's crafting an email to say no politely literally takes like quite a lot of energy especially if you're a people pleaser and I feel zapped after even doing that. So one thing I did learn though and this might be controversial to some people but sometimes you don't have to reply to things. I I completely
1: agree with that. I I don't reply to things when someone is rude to me or just asking something just so outrageous. I actually have a filter in my inbox that I filter a lot of stuff out. It doesn't actually even come into my inbox. It it filters straight into other folders and pr oh that's yeah. good yeah although that became a um it's funny because actually i kind of did myself over with that because my publicist for the book emailed me with this in the subject line press release as in the press release for my own book <laughs> and that got delete it, it got filtered <laughs> away um so anyway but for the for the large part it it really helps and it you know it might be the case that there are other sort of filters you can use. Um, And so when it's something that is just completely unreasonable or something that could be Googled or just something that kind of, you know, you just leave it, it's okay. Not to reply to every single email address to every single email. I think it is, I think people have realized that, I mean, people also have their own inboxes. It's that thing where when, and I do this, you know, if I, if I'm emailing, you know, say for example, for the podcast or for an article that I'm writing, if I'm emailing someone who I really, really want to interview in my mind, I'm the only person who receives Hundreds of emails. And so I forget that, oh, wait a minute, that other person is also battling the same email problems I have. Um, and then also, just something else I just really want to quickly say when you just mentioned about how sometimes the out of office doesn't work, I completely am here for that. And I feel the same way that the reality is that part of this is also something deeper and bigger. And it's kind of like, I think that email itself is also just a very, very crap tool. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm addicted to email. I can't stop myself even though i have that out of office i have to put i use the app freedom to physically block myself from going into my inbox because otherwise i'm just in there refreshing it because as a freelancer especially your day can turn on one email like for good or for bad you might get an email saying you know here's an amazing work opportunity that is going to pay you well and on time or you might get an email that says oh sorry that idea that you spent ages working on no thanks don't want that um And it's not good to allow your moods, or at least for me, I know that I'm allowing my moods to be controlled so much by my inbox. So I'm trying, doing everything I can to stop myself from kind of getting to that place. But it's really, really, really hard. Um, And I don't have, I don't, without that app, I don't have the um, self-discipline or the willpower to stop myself looking in my inbox. So it's, yeah, it's a bigger problem.
0: It's the easiest way to distract when you're meant to be doing your proper work, definitely. Yeah, it's it's a learning, because it's a full-time job emailing, like you could do it all day. But I also am having a flashback to my like first year of freelancing self and I'd be listening to this and being like, well, at least you're getting emails. <laughs> <laughs> I remember refreshing for a long time, nothing was really in there. But um, it's a good problem to have, but it's, it's real and it leads to burnout, which I want to talk to you about because on your amazing podcast, is this working? I feel like that episode went down really well didn't it you guys were so honest and I, re- I listened to it at a time when I was burnt out and um yeah what led you to kind of being so vulnerable in that episode and what have you learned since that episode
1: uh that's a great question so I think that is one of our most popular episodes I think that burnout you know it's one of these words that has been has become so trendy But that doesn't stop the experience of burnout being actually really horrendous. And I think it is still nonetheless very important to talk about burnout and to actually talk about what it is and what it feels like to have it. Um, In that episode, I was talking about being burnout in a full time job. And I remember it. I didn't realize at the time that that's what it was because I didn't know. I didn't have the language to use. I don't think that the World Health Organization had issued that sort of official definition of burnout at the time. Um, And also this was pre -Anne, Anne Helen Peterson's seminal BuzzFeed article. So I just didn't know that that's what it was. All I knew was that I was absolutely exhausted. I was dragging myself to work, somehow getting through the day, dragging myself back and just not having any energy to do anything else. And just kind of falling asleep on the couch. I remember actually, I, I realized something was really bad when we had some guests around sort of in the middle of the week. I just fell asleep on the sofa, um, kind of like mid conversation. And um, anyway, it actually wasn't until like a while later that I, that I realized that that's what that's, that was burnout. Uh, but, and I, I said this on the podcast and I will stress this now as well. Freelancing is not a cure for burnout um, at all. Because ultimately, the thing about burnout is, so first of all, it is it is a work-related phenomenon. That's what the World Health Organization has kind of said in its definition. And it is really, it's very important that kind of is understood. You, It's when your work causes this chronic stress that becomes unmanageable. And a key thing about burnout is that it happens when you don't feel like you're getting enough out of something that you're putting into it and that can happen in whatever industry you work in whatever kind of job you do however you are employed um and i say this because right now i do feel quite burnt out because it is really hard to be a freelancer right now it's really hard to just be any kind of person employed or in work right now. And I I definitely have those same feelings of I'm putting so much in and I'm not getting a whole lot out. And, you know, it might seem because, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, what you post on social media and what you don't, I only post about, I post about my book and my podcast and all of these these things, but that doesn't mean that behind the scenes, I'm not also struggling or not finding it really, really hard because I am. And so, yeah, you can experience burnout at any stage of your career, no matter how kind of like quote unquote successful someone looks, they may feel like, you know, they may have those experiences of burnout. And yeah, I think the pandemic is a very fertile ground for burnout. That episode on the podcast was really born out of the fact that we just really want to talk very openly about the messy parts of work and the reality of work and you know we need more conversations which is very much what you do with control delete are just about how things are just there's no progress is not linear most people's careers are very zigzaggy and success doesn't just mean like a big pile of money and the kind of like the house with the white picket fence It, it it means different things to different people uh and so yeah that's kind of um that's sort of what how it all came about, and it's also a topic that it's not just it's not just a kind of like one and done. It's something that I think needs revisiting and um, just needs to be talked up, talked about a lot more because it's also part of a bigger thing, which is that we don't fully know all of the ways in which work and mental health interact with one, one with one another, and how. You know what? What basically? Which causes what? Does the work lead us to be stressed, or are we stressed, and therefore we're struggling at work? So there's all these kinds of things, and like you know, work-related mental health conditions. Like that. That's kind of that's why burnout was such a big moment because it's like, oh, okay, no, we are really seeing
0: the impact
1: of work on our minds and well-being.
0: So well said, and. It reminds me of something that my life coach said to me quite recently, actually, which was like very obvious, to probably most people. She said, you can't work all day and then think sleep is like your downtime. And it blew my mind because I realized that I didn't have anything in my day for years that was to do with rest. And that is crazy to me now because I factor in rest quite a lot into my day now. Little 10 minute sit and stretch. It's like completely changed everything.
1: And I think that is something, though, that I and because I, I do feel really burned out right now. And I realize it's because there has been nothing else to do in this pandemic except work. And of course, I was yeah. writing a book and I was doing all sorts of, you know, I was just also doing my regular freelancing stuff. There was nothing else to do except work. So all I did was work, work, work. And I definitely didn't think, oh, I should be building in rest time. I kind of also from that school of thought that, yes, I. Like sleep is when I recharge and I, and I'm so militant about, you know, I go to bed early and I have, you know, I try to like do all of this sleep hygiene, but it definitely wouldn't have occurred to me that that's not the only way to rest either. And yeah, again, I think, you know, it's the, it's the, the pandemic has had a massive impact on this because it's all we have right now is to do work. And then we don't, we don't have that, you we don't have the places to escape from work either, or, you know, we just don't have... We just don't really have much much of a life at the moment, so it's just it's very easy to be burnt out right now
0: totally and i I really i uh, I hear you because I was burnt out a few months ago, and it does come in waves, and when you're going through it, you just feel like you're completely out of petrol, and the car is just like, "Can we stop now so um yeah you 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 know what to do, and you will get back on it but Um, For anyone listening, I have mentioned it in the intro, but uh, the book is called You're the Business. It's really great. It's like I would give it to all my friends if they're considering going freelance. And um, I just wanted to end on you, hopefully, if you're okay with it, talking about Lance, because that's fairly new, is it? And we can point people in that direction.
1: Uh, Yeah, so... I have been writing a newsletter for as long as I have been freelance. It was the very first thing I did when I started working with myself on my exactly one week after getting made Redundant, I started writing a newsletter and it's changed its name over the course of these year of the years. Um, at the moment, it is called Lance. I recently rebranded it because I really wanted to celebrate and kind of embrace the word freelance. And also it was, it's a bit tongue in cheek as well, because, you know, it has that kind of like vibe to it as well of fighting for what you're worth and kind of like standing up for yourself and all of that as well. Um, And so it's a weekly Friday email, which is um, either a reported story about something going on in the freelance world um or it's also me talking about my own experiences as a freelancer that's very much the kind of what the original newsletter was always about and i i've just been i've said it's the place that i have essentially documented my journey as a freelancer um anything that i've kind of like learned along the way that's what where i've shared it so yeah you can find it at uh lance.media and um yeah, it's very much my, um, I don't know, newsletters are really having a moment at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just a really, it's just, a, and I know you, you obviously you write one as well, and it's just such a fun and intimate way to kind of connect Absolutely. with readers, especially in their inbox, which is such a sacred sacred space, and to be allowed in there to talk and to sort of like tell your story or to share stuff or share links and things like that. Um it's such a honor and privilege. So newsletters are very, very dear to my heart. And I'm also a big newsletter reader as well. Um, so yeah, highly encourage people to sign up for all the newsletters.
0: Yes, definitely. I know. I always think of them as like the opposite of the endless scroll. It's like, you're not going to have to endlessly scroll. This is just everything in one go. And it's a joy to read. And, um, and actually in your pie chart that you sometimes do with the breakdown of your income streams the newsletters like really really in there and maybe we should do an episode on newsletters one day oh you definitely i could talk about newsletters for days because um <laughs> you
1: can make money from them in lots of different ways um and i think that they are um going to be just they are already and they're going to become increasingly just a very important part of the media ecosystem. This, you know, they are definitely not going to be, they're not the future of journalism. They are just a great income stream for, for writers. And it's just kind of one very important part of um, hopefully kind of like a sustainable media industry.
0: Yeah. And it's like, there's not just one column that only one person can have in one newspaper. It's like, we've all got one. Exactly, (laughs) I love it. But thank you so much for this. And for anyone who needs more, I really recommend getting the book. It's really practical. And it's like this episode times a million with practical advice. So thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me.